back to the Cattle Menu Podcast. I'm Caroline Rose, the founder and CEO of K-Rose Company and Cattle Menu. Thank you for joining us on this episode. I'm excited to bring you these conversations each week filled with relatable advice and techniques you can take back to your operation. It's my mission to make sure that we can ranch in the next generation. Make sure and subscribe where you're listening so you never miss a new episode. Welcome to another episode of the Cattleman You Podcast. I am your host, Caroline Rose, and I am here with Amber today. Thank you for joining us. You're welcome. Why don't we start with you just giving us a little bit of your background and kind of get us caught up to speed with what you're up to these days. Okay, well, I grew up in Chicago, and that's where I started uh, riding when I was eight years old. I uh, did chores for my grandfather in exchange for him paying for my $11 an hour lessons and uh, started writing English. I moved to Hawaii when I was 14, uh, rode English there too. Uh, worked at a place called Camp Smith, which they did an after school program where we would do chores in exchange for lessons. Then moved on to Washington to live with a horse vet to help her. I was her tech. Didn't last in Washington very long. It's a little rainy over there. It was a little much for me. <laughs> so I ended up following a boy to California. I worked for veterinarians in California and then proceeded to go to college at Feather River College in Quincy, California. There I got my associate's degree in pack station and stable operations, which is now equine science degree. After graduation, I was offered the job as the instructional assistant for the program. And so I worked for Feather River College for approximately five years um, under Russell Reed and Chuck Mills. Uh, we had about 20 broodmares and two stallions and uh, lots of kids. We built a rodeo program when I was there, built a new facility. It was it was very, very fun. Um, unfortunately, my first husband was ill, ended up fighting a pretty long battle against a hereditary form of leukemia, basically. Uh, he passed away in 2013, but prior to that, we ended up moving to Montana, where he wanted to live out his life and fish and hunt and enjoy the beautiful scenery here in Montana. He made me promise not to take my kids out of the state and to finish raising them in Montana. So I did that. I got remarried in 2018, and my husband is a rancher. We raise registered black Angus and sell bulls uh, with a lot of sits influence in our breeding. I, along the way, have kind of been known for my mule training. And so um, that's, you know, my, I think my second cult at Feather River College as a student was a mule. And then I started a few more after that. And I always just kind of had that place in my heart for those long years. Anyways, so um, I rode part-time for various clients, mules, horses, cult starting, whatnot with my full-time job at Edward Jones because someone had to have health insurance, right? (laughs) So 
I, in 2020, I decided to go full-time on my training business because my clientele was growing. Plus, I take young trainers kind of under my wing. They work for me for two years. I teach them as much as I know or as much as I can in those two years about training, about the business, about selling horses, training horses and mules giving lessons, uh, breeding horses. I have uh, a few broodmares and a stallion here. I'm raising my own. And 2022, I uh, came off of a cult and I broke my back. So that kind of caused me to step back a little bit from the training as as a full-time thing because of the uh, inconsistency. I never knew if I could handle riding the next day or not, unfortunately. So in the meantime, all of this, I have been working on a project called Leeds Equine. It's a website that allows equine professionals to put a profile on the directory. So I found a huge need for this and I Googled and looked and searched and everything and I couldn't find anything quite like it. And what it is, is equine professionals build a pretty simple profile page on themselves, including pictures, their logo, contact information, references, whatnot. And so that's kind of been my my passion for the past few years. Plus, I ride a little bit. I kept one client because we take mules to the salmon sale every year in April. And I just really enjoy the animals he sends me. And we have a pretty good reputation. So, so yeah, I'm still kind of got my foot in the door, but I'm more focusing on breeding my own, helping my husband with our cattle, riding for the one client, and working on the website. There's so much to dive into with what you just said. And (laughs) I think the place we should start with is I'm making an assumption that a majority of the listeners are not horse trainers but they would be on the opposite end. So they would be buying horses for the opposite end. And so talk a little bit about one kind of the industry of, you know, hiring someone to either train a horse for you or buying a horse from a trainer and like the do's and don'ts and when to know you're making a good deal or who to ask. Because I think sometimes the industry can get a negative, you know, I mean, just like cattle buyers, yes. right? A negative yeah. connotation um, with yeah. horse trainers. So talk a little bit, if someone's looking at buying a horse or having a horse trained, like what are some things they need to be aware of when they're looking to partner with someone? So, you know, the biggest thing that I run into is folks that call me and just want a 30-day cult start and they've never ridden before. And I say, okay, so you want me to just do 30 days on a colt and then you're going to start riding it? And they say, well, yeah. And I say, you've never ridden before. Those are the type of clientele that I I avoid, mainly because really, um, as ranchers know, you know, your, your horse is a tool. They have to be able to be exposed to a lot of stuff. 
I don't know how many times a calf's run under a horse or you've had your horse tied while, you know, other people are branding and things went wrong and ropes went everywhere. And I mean, your horse has to have a very, very solid foundation. And that's, you know, one that I've, I've started a lot of colts for ranchers, specifically some rodeo guys too, ropers and whatnot. And the one thing they really like is that I expose their horses to everything and anything I can. So that would be one thing I would look for in a trainer that they're not going to be real open to just taking your colt for 30 days. They're going to have a requirement, either a three-month requirement and then come back the next year for a tune-up before you start using them again. A trainer that's you know immersed in the plan for your future with your horse because let's face it, these horses can, you know, my accident was a colt tripping and falling. It was nothing. It wasn't a buck off. It wasn't a a great story other than a trip and a fall, you know, and that really put my abilities to do a lot of things on the back burner. Um, hopefully in the future I can get better and stronger, but so ranchers, you know, a rancher can't be down for a day. So if they, you know, send their colt off to a trainer and they get it back and they saddle it up and the thing goes to bucking and then they step on it and it's okay for a little bit and then it goes to bucking because it's a water diversion, a blue tarp on the ground. That's just sad because the focus for the trainers should be on exposing those horses um, and or mules. You know, there are ranchers that use mules <laughs> to everything and anything. Getting a good mindset, putting them in really tight situations where the horse learns to look to their rider for support and not lose their ever-loving mind and end up hurting someone. I know you can't prevent... Uh, there is no bomb-proof horse out there. I don't care what anybody says. There is no bomb-proof. Every horse has a, a vice. Every horse has some sort of ill-mannered thing that one person will love and another person will hate. For like my ranch horses, you know, a lot of those cowboys, they don't care if they they pull back. doesn't bother them. It's not a big deal. They just don't tie them. They don't care if they get a little humpy when you first saddle them. I mean, it's those are things that those people choose to live with. It's not something I would want to live with. And so when I'm sending home these horses and mules, I am also requiring that the the clients come throughout the training session and either ride them with us or take a lesson or see what see what we've done with their animal and so you know having a trainer not just dropping your horse off at the trainer never hearing from him but maybe a text yeah he's doing good and then picking him up at the end of the time you have with that trainer and having no information, that's just bad business. So, you know, that's one of the things that I, I work on with my kids that come to work work for me and that I mentor is, you know, you engage with your clients. You find out what they're willing to live with and what they're not willing to live with. And along the way, I use a app called Photo Circle. 
And so along the training process, we do short videos, you know, every other day or once a week if it's been really busy. And I put those, I download those onto PhotoCircle and share the link with the client and then the client will get notification when a, a video has been downloaded. So they can watch the process, the training process as we go. And I like that because oftentimes, you know, I had one guy, I'll start with a yearling. A lot of times I have like a yearling to three-year-old program where I do a month with a yearling. And then the first year, the second year, we take them for three months. We start them, we get them going. And then the third year, we do a month of a tune-up basically before they start using them. Anyways, I had a yearling dropped off and uh, it was about a week before she was going home. And the owner said, well, have you been loading her in a trailer? And I said, oh, I, you know, I didn't even think of that. Duh. It's like what I do with every horse pretty much. But the riding horses were hauling places. The yearlings, we really don't haul very many places because I have 200 acres of our own. And then we have thousands of public land up above me. So I really don't see a need to teach a yearling to load. And then I'm like, well, hmm, I should probably work on that. And um, I mean, she was easy. After everything we've done with her, I mean, she just walked right in the trailer because we taught her how to go by us. And we taught her that if I ask you to move forward, you move forward. And, and so just having that engagement with my clients is, it's awesome. You know, the, the rope horses, whether or not they're going to be branding or team roping or what, I mean, making sure that you have a rope on that colt from day one and you've got them exposed to cattle. You know, I, we always have cattle around, so they're always exposed to cattle. I also have, uh, we have four healer dogs and uh, one lab and they're always running around. So as we know in the ranch world, there's always dogs running around. You don't want a colt that was started by a trainer afraid of dogs. If the dog brings a cow to you and the dog runs by, you don't want the colt to fart you off just because the dog scared you. So they get exposed to the dogs as well, being around us, um, working the cattle from the dogs and whatnot. So I think making sure that the trainer exposes and the trainer stays in communication with the owner all the time. Whether it be a quick text saying, hey, I downloaded a video, check it out, or a call, or, or whatever, having that engagement is huge because you're buying, I don't want to say you're buying a life insurance policy, but you know, if you get hurt on this horse, you could ruin your livelihood. You could ruin your life, you know, if you get hurt or you even get killed. So, I mean making sure that that animal is as safe and as exposed as possible is really kind of a goal that every trainer should have. And it's, it's different. Obviously there's different horses, different mules. Um, I've sent quite a few home and said, mm, sell it. It's not, it's not going to work for what you want. You can't make every one of them into what someone wants them to be. Sometimes the horse or mule just doesn't have that personality to do that job or they're 
they're too mellow. They're not gonna, or they can't run very fast or it's silly. Some of the things we run into, but I don't know. That's, did I answer that question? <laughs> yeah. I think that the biggest thing to kind of sum it up is you shouldn't really envision it as hiring a trainer. It's right. more of like a partnership. Like this is a person yes. that you are going to be not in constant communication. We don't want anyone to be texting their trainer 24 seven, but mm-hmm. this is someone who you're on a team together using your skills that each one of you has. And I think a lot of times we see it in all different aspects of every industry, but we want yep. to just be able to drop off, pick up and it'd be perfect. And right. I remember, you know, on, there's one time on Facebook I saw, it's like, you don't need a $15,000 horse. You need a thousand dollar horse and $14,000 worth of riding lessons. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes we expect to, buy a horse that's perfect or send a horse to a trainer and have it come back as perfect. And we forget one, that horses are living, breathing things with their own brain. And, you know, a lot of it is human error and the way that we're. Oh yeah. And so it's more of a partnership versus just a like, you know, when you take your car to the mechanic, you take it in, they fix it, they send it back. Like that's not the right. Right. We should expect from trainers. Right. And horses aren't motorcycles. You don't jump on them and start them and go. You know, they don't, they're not, they're not dogs either. You don't teach them cute little tricks and I mean, they're, they're big. They can be dangerous. So yeah, it's interesting. The idea a lot of people have, I give people kudos who work with Mustangs um, from different areas. And I realized a long time ago that, you know, Mustangs aren't my thing. They're just not not what I like to do. But I do like to train mules because mules are so smart and they humble me. I never ever feel like a top-notch trainer when I'm working with a really hard mule. <laughs> I just feel like I have that much more to learn. And you know, that's one of the things I tell these kids that I mentor you're getting ready to be in an industry that is a really tough one, uh, especially for women. Women usually get married and start having kids, and and that horse training makes it really uh, hard to do that. So it's more of a man's man's world. But the women that are out there doing it, it's a hard job. It, you're dealing with people. You're dealing with people saying unnecessary things. You know, that's one of the reasons why I did this Leeds Equine website as well, because if you're looking for a trainer, you can go on there and let's say you have a cow horse prospect, you go on there and you search for a trainer and you click um, services, uh, colt starting or cow horse or whatever, and it'll give you a list of trainers that specialize in that area. And then you can go on their profile and you can see did they go to college do they have a show record and you can actually watch a video of them riding you know that's an option for trainers so you can see that person you know anybody can say they're a horse trainer but i don't care you you better watch that person ride because not everybody can ride well Are you trying to find the right planner to start the new year with? 
Look no further. We have created the Cattle Menu Planner for ranch wives, mothers, and daughters who are looking for the perfect place to capture all of their thoughts throughout the year. Our planner is the perfect guide to help you get your operation started. In the Cattle Menu Planner Paving Your Path, you will create the foundation for your operation, set goals, and learn how to implement them. We have included our customer favorite blank calendar pages so you can start when you're ready. Grab yours today at cattlemenulive.com backslash planner. To get a sneak peek of some of the new sections in the planner, you can go to cattlemenulive.com backslash preview. Yeah, absolutely. And so I have a quick side question before we get back. Yeah, yeah. Things. So I grew up in a family. My grandpa who is now 91, grew up or had a ranch in Idaho, a Charlet ranch in Idaho, and always grew up having mules around because he liked to uh-huh. go hunting and it was sort of his deal. So we always grew up with a couple mules around. Why would someone on a ranch or in production agriculture decide to use mules? Would they ever like, where do they fit or where do you see them fitting best into the industry compared to horses? Well, I mean, they can do anything. If you have a good mule, they can do absolutely anything. I have uh, one mule a friend of mine has now. He's a mule trainer, loves her. He ropes off of her, and they are dirty, tough, like dirty, tough. My friend Nick Dowers down in Dyer, Nevada, he has how 1.3 million acres of leased land that he has uh, wild cattle on, and he runs his cows on there as well. And they have to go out and rope wild cattle. Well, he's not going to take his $50,000 show horse out there to rope a hooky wild Hereford. He's going to take his good old mule out there. He's got three. I go down once or twice a year and and step on his mules and see where they're at and I just love it but they're sure-footed they're built for endurance they can do just about anything and they are just dirty tough and not to mention you know in living in Montana you have wolves bears whatever you throw you can turn your mules out with your cattle if you're having trouble with those guys that mule patrol like a guard dog with sheep. I mean, they're just, they're the one thing God didn't make. They're they are not a donkey and they're not a horse, but man, they're not all great. Don't get me wrong. I've come across someone that I thought, well, this is going to be a pack mule for the rest of his life. But they're like a big guard dog. They're dirty, tough. They're so good. Like when I train a mule, Versus when I am training a horse, let's say just like a horse bought in a loose sale, let's say. Okay, so we have no bloodlines involved. That mule you show it once. You come back and, yeah, got it. Next. You got to show that horse a few more times to really get it through to him that, yes, that's exactly what you wanted. A mule just, and let me back up a little bit relationships are huge for mules. Like they have their people that they like. And that was one of the benefits of having employees here is that if I got a mule 
that was dropped off, we'd all introduce ourselves to that mule and that mule will tell you which person they like the best. Because if the mule doesn't like you for some reason, you're not going to get anywhere with it. It's just not going to, you can't make that mule think that you're going to be the person because there's always going to be just that guess in there like, well, I don't know. That mule is just constantly thinking. So mules are tricky in that way where you can't just go out to the sale barn and buy yourself a mule and the, the young guy's been, you know, roping off of it and doing everything. If you meet that mule, if you haven't done your homework, gone out, met the mule prior to the sale, rode the mule, shame on you. Because when you buy that mule and take it home, if that mule hasn't decided that you're his person, you're going to have a hard time. Horses are a lot less like that. You know, they're like, oh, okay, another person, another person. Horses will do the, you know, some, he's a man's horse or he's a, fem- a woman's horse. You know, mules are, which person is that? mules person. (laughs) I had said one thing at one time where horses, you can have a professional relationship with any horse, but a mule will require you to be their best friend. And so that kind of sums it up (laughs) on them. Yeah, they do. They do everything. They do absolutely everything. Yeah, we had one probably for 10 years that I really remember named Festus and we ride some pretty good horses. My brother likes to keep some young horses around and then some pretty good horses at our operation. And the hired man always rode Festus. And I remember my Mm -hmm. dad saying, you know, you and Festus just get along great. We'd rope off of him. But when we'd go to gather that mule led all the horses. I mean, he was the fastest he was ready to go he wanted to go to work he really enjoyed it and people would always laugh they're like you guys brought a mule to town my brother's like right this is festus yeah 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 they have a heart of gold and and they'll work till the day they die you know till the day they lay down and take their last breath they work till the i hear a lot of old mule guys mule skinners talk about how Mules work until the day they die. And, you know, I've seen it. You know, you don't have to retire a mule. <laughs> you have to feed and supplement that mule for the last five years of its life or eight years of its life. And it's just a pasture pet. It's majority of them, obviously. I'm not saying every one of them is like that. They are not all smooth to ride. They are not all kickers they are not all you know there's so many things well don't mules kick no not you know not everyone and you know aren't they so smooth to ride no not every one of them is smooth to ride I do have to say uh, a mule is going to do everything and anything to not fall down if they can stand it my friend Nick was actually out doctoring cattle and and his mule did a somersault with him I mean he was hot after a cow and he had it on a Instagram, I think, video or something, and and they were hot on the trail of some wild cows, and he was loping through sagebrush and everything, and his his mule fell down, and that mule was probably just as shocked as he was, you know. But I mean, if they can help it, they're not going to be, you know, like baby colts when you're riding them out in the first time, and there's rocks and sagebrush and 
trees and whatever. They're just kind of trying to maneuver and try to figure out how to carry you and maneuver and they trip and they, you know, all that. But mules tend to do that a lot less. So moral of the story, if you haven't considered a mule, you should not completely, right, knock it off your list. Right, right. You should look for the one that fits the best and one that fits your personality. And But I think, I just think a lot of people don't probably even consider having a mule around. And so hopefully with what you just said, more people will, you know, if they see a good one listed or if they meet a good one, they realize it's an opportunity. Right. Right. And you got to meet them beforehand. You got to meet them in their situation that they're in before you buy them. Because, you know, mules don't like change. Uh, They don't like change in the routine. So you can go visit a mule at like my facility. Let's say I had a mule for sale and you met my mule and they're chill and they're, you know, whatever, easy, great to ride everything. And then you see them at the sale barn. Or you end up buying them and taking them home and, and they're pacing for a week and they're, well, you just took them from their herd and put them in a new situation. Now they it, they get very worried, very worried about changing things. They have a new person, their, their routine got messed up. So they're, you know, they're just like that, I guess. The one thing I really love, one thing I want to mention about mules, I, I do lessons with some disabled children. I wouldn't even call them disabled because they're probably the most abled kids that ride horses better than a lot of adults that I've given lessons to. But the mules are so in tune to them and are so soft with them. And, you know, I have uh, one Down syndrome girl I give lessons. I've been giving her lessons since she was about six, I think. That just the way they are with these kids, autistic kids and kids with ADHD, they're just so gentle, so gentle. Kind of like, and that's how the mares are too. I think over geldings, uh, mares have a more maternal personality. I know a lot of ranches, ranchers don't like mixing the mares and the geldings up because there's, you know, all this, all these hormones and what I find it's the geldings that are causing all the problems because the mares know exactly, you know, you go out and watch a, a herd of Mustangs and, you know, the mares have their hierarchy. The mares know who's in charge and geldings just kind of like that. They're like the bachelor band. They're like the troublemakers. But, you know, I mix my mares and geldings and, and, you know, I have no issues. You know, it also, I guess, matters on how you manage, manage your herd. My, my stud, you know, he has a special, he has a halter for when I'm breeding him. And then he has a halter for when he's, he's at work. And um, he's a pretty phenomenal stallion, though. He's, you know, I can put kids on him and adults on him. It doesn't matter. It's just, I guess it depends on your situation. I know a lot of ranchers are absolutely no mares whatsoever. When I met my husband, he was kind of that mindset. He he had a few good mares in his life, but, you know, they'd rather not have too many mares sticking around. And But, you know, the mares have heart. They have heart. They're probably a little bit closer to the mentality of a mule, I think, in the sense that they 
they like those relationships and because that's what their world's all about is hierarchy and who's in charge. If you just tell, you tell that mayor that you're the alpha when she's with you, but when she's out in the pasture, she can be the alpha, then she's good to go. She'll work, work hard for you. Talk a little bit about, you mentioned the horse training world being not really a woman's world. And I'm definitely in that same realm in the cattle buying world. So talk a little bit about women trainers and what they bring to the table that are different. If you're looking to hire a trainer or partner with a trainer, kind of what do some women bring to the table that might be different than the skills men bring to the table in the training world? Well, you know, this is just, this is just my opinion, you know, and watching over the years, but women tend to be a little softer, uh, have more patience because God gave us that just because we had to raise children. So, and we aren't physically built to be as strong as men. So we're less likely to strong arm or try to strong arm a horse or mule into doing something. You know, I'm 135 pounds and I I can't push around a a thousand pound animal. So um, women, they're just softer. That being said, you know, I've had some male clients that I've started their colts and sent them off to them and they have a heavier hand than I am. And, you know, we get our colts pretty darn soft. You don't have to use a ton of leg on them. I mean, our goal is to do it the least amount and get the most out of them. So you'll watch the girls that work for me ride and, and you don't see them doing much. But then if a, a strong man gets on these animals you know, they squeeze a lot harder, they pull a lot harder, that's going to be a different feel for these horses. So I think the the women I've seen over the years, I'm not saying everyone by any means, but they have a tendency to be a little bit softer. And so I think they can actually get their animals to be softer because of that, because they're not binding them into a maneuver or whatnot because they don't have the strength to do that. Obviously, there's lots of tools and gadgets out there that you can use. Um, And we use, you know, we use a few things to help us if we have, especially the mules, because they tend to come with, if they've already been ridden, they've, they come with a pretty, pretty hard mouth. And so we try to get that softened up. Women just tend to be softer, I guess, all around, more patient. Not that we don't lose our patience because we sure do, (laughs) but we have the ability to not stay with the fight. We have to walk away, regroup, plan, talk it out. Isn't that what they say, you know, about marriage counseling and, you know, the woman wants to talk and the man doesn't, (laughs) you know, I don't know how many times the gals that have worked for me over the years I look out, they're in the round pen, and there's dust flying, and I'm like, well, what's going on over there? And so I go go about my business and figure if there's trouble, they'll come find me. So, And then I look over, and the horses or mules tied up, and they're walking towards me, kind of slumped over, and 
kicking the dirt as they're walking and they just got to talk it out. And then they go back and it's like a, a new thing and then they succeed. So I think that's just what I have seen. Now, given I have seen also some pretty darn talented men over the years, uh, Nick Dowers, including, I remember him coming to Feather River College and, you know, he was a ranch kid. He came on a baseball scholarship and he took a cult class and he met Brian Newbert and that was it. I mean, he's a, he's a superstar now, but the biggest hang up with the women, like I said, is they get married, they have kids, they have to raise kids. And a lot of times, and you're probably familiar with this, the ranch wife has to have that town job. So it provides the medical, you know, the health insurance and the retirement because ranching, as you know, is, is tough. <laughs> Buying and settle, selling cattle. And my husband's a, a northern rep too. So that's pretty stressful work, you know, pretty much everything to do with the cattle market is to me kind of stressful, you know, calving, it's stressful. How many did we lose? Do we got scours real bad? Or it's, why'd that cow lay down on that calf? You know, it's just like, but that's what I think a lot of people say about the horse training world or the horse business, um, whether it's a veterinarian or a shoer or a trainer. It's, I guess that's why we have everybody for each niche. Yeah, and I I think I noticed that just in ranching, you know, that's one of the things that we talk a lot about on Cattleman U is kind of the Mm -hmm. sweet spot between the softer side and then also the, you know, more muscle side, the strength Mm -hmm. side. And and how Mm -hmm. I think in agriculture for a long time, we got away from realizing the power and the benefit of the soft side. And how important that is in all different kinds of roles outside. And we kind of saw it as a weakness for a long time. And I think now we're starting to realize what a strength that is in in training horses and keeping horses around, but also just in cattle. Absolutely. All of that. Yeah. I, I have talked to a lot of ranchers, you know, over the years and, I don't think there's one, and and maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think there's one that's going to argue with you when you say women are better calvers. Yep, I agree. Uh, you've probably heard that because they're compassionate. You know, they they're they're feeling for what that cow's going through, and they're patient when they got to suckle that calf for the first time, and they're patient about you know they're patient and. You just ripped a body out of her body. (laughs) Let her chill for a little bit. (laughs) And I'm not saying, again, I'm not saying every man is like this or every woman is like that. But, you know, some of our best night calvers were women. Yeah, it's just different different skills that work so well. Yeah. I I think it was last year we were calving and a calf was big and needed tubed. And so I said to my brother... I don't feel super confident in this area. Can you right. show me again? I mean, I've already been taught, but I was like, can you just go through it again? And he right. just manhandles this calf. Right. <laughs> I go inside right. To and I said, well, um, I did learn how to tube it. I also could physically never do that scenario. 
Right. So we need to find a plan B that doesn't look right. like picking up the 110 pound calf and sticking right. it between my legs and trying to hold it upright while I'm tubing, while I'm doing all these other right. things. And I just was laughing because to my brother, it was like, that was the easiest and most effective yep. way to get it done. And yep. I'm looking at him, I'm like, um, I can't do it that way. So thanks for right. laughing, but let's find right. a different way. Yeah. Yeah, and some of those calves do need shuck up a little bit, woke up, and, you know, some of those big dummy calves, you know, they're just like, you know, they come out and they're just like, oh, my God, I'm so tired. I've been in that uterus for so long. <laughs> you know, and you do got to kind of rough them up to wake them up and, and have a want to live and want to suck and, you know, all that. But, you yeah. know, another benefit I think women have in – calving is pulling calves we don't have as I know I don't have as large of an arm <laughs> so it's a little bit easier for us to reach in there grab some feet and maneuver a chain around feet and stuff like that but not all women I'm not saying not all women we're excited to announce our first ever she's a hand ranch camp horseback edition on June 14th through 16th, we'll be hosting 14 women to cultivate their cattle handling skills from horseback. We'll spend one day working in the arena, one day in the backgrounding lot, and one day gathering cattle in summer country. Attendees will provide their own horses and tack. We're accepting applications now through the form linked below. Once your application has been reviewed and accepted, you will have 48 hours to secure your spot. One of the gals that worked for me, she's, uh, what, not last year, but two years ago, she worked for me for two years. She's coming back because I've kind of stepped back. I usually have, you know, anywhere from 20 to 30 horses and mules here a month during spring, summer, and fall. And she's going to train out of my business. And I'm so excited. She's been out there on her own for a year after working for me for two years. She was on her own. Well, she went to UM Western, got her degree, worked for a year on her own, came work for me for two years, worked on her own, and then now she's coming here. But I'm so excited to watch her growth and her progress and and watch. I mean, she's really succeeded. And I'm not saying I favor women because <laughs> I do have, you know, I've had quite a few male students over the years, two in particular, that they come every year to help me with my kids camp in June and they're just phenomenal but they're naturally patient men and they're naturally softer men so they're not as aggressive I guess just something to I don't know just something to help the listeners consider one when you're picking a training partner it's yeah. more about the relationship and kind of knowing yeah. where your weaknesses are and finding someone who feels that I mean it's just like a marriage right yeah. You got to work. You don't want to hire someone who's the exact same that you are. You want to try to find someone who's going to kind of help you out in those avenues. And I just think it's something that we all need to consider when we're looking at people's different skills and things that they bring to the table because it is. And like we mentioned at the beginning, this horse training and trading and that side of it has gotten, you know, some negative connotation. And Mm -hmm. there are some really good trainers out there. There's some really good horse traders out there. And 
we have to kind of find that again, because yeah. one, one of the things I want you to speak on a little bit is what you think the horse market looks like going forward, but it's been crazy the last couple of years and I don't, it I don't has. know if that's going to slow down. Right. So in 2021, or was it 2020? I can't remember. I sold a mule at the salmon uh, select mule sale for $49,000. The other mules went for pretty darn high too. It was just a big, 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 big sale. Since then, the year after, I think I sold three John mules for like around 11,000 each. And then last year I had a Molly sell for 17 and and I'm I'm referencing mules because it also it kind of mirrors the horse industry as well. I also sold quite a few horses like ranch type horses with color and and can do arena and kids and whoever and then draft crosses for like 17 to 25,000 and over the last few years well those days are kind of not here right now those um, people are you know the horse market flooded the everyday riders or the once a week riders and the monthly riders and so now there's a bunch of horses out there people are realizing that they they just don't have time for and so I think you know now people are getting rid of horses for a lot cheaper, a lot cheaper. So the mule market's staying okay for what it, I mean, it went from, you know, you could get a really, really good mule and paying $5,000 was a lot of money for a mule to now, you know, you're looking at getting a really nice in the bridle, been there, done that mule for 10,000. But I'm seeing, you know, next year, Next year, it's going down to like say seventy five hundred or five thousand. I mean, it's it's definitely on its it's going down because the horse market's flooded. I think right now there's a lot of people selling horses out there, horses and mules. So I noticed too. I had um, this year was the first year in my 20 some odd years of training that I had six training contracts not follow through. So for various reasons, um, financial, sold the horse, decided they couldn't do it this year. They weren't going to have time to commit to the program, whatnot. But that's a lot. That's a huge hit on me. And those were, you know, those were cult starts and those were, Three month contracts at twelve hundred a month times six. I mean, that was twenty one thousand dollars that I lost last year. So, I mean, it's definitely something that is changing. It's getting softer, but it's also a good time to be more picky about finding the right trainer because the trainers are needing the work. You know, before you couldn't get on a trainer's calendar for a year, sometimes two years. You know, a lot of those people just kind of said, oh, well, I'm just going to go down to the kid down the street. He charges 500 bucks a month and he does an okay job, you know. 
because I can't wait for you for a year or two years, but it's definitely more of a client's or horse owner's market as far as finding the trainers. And um, you can be picky. You know, you don't have to hire the first trainer you see. You can, and that's the beauty of the Leeds Equine. You can go on there and you can look at these people's profiles and you can see, oh, they, you know, if a, de- a college degree matters or not, you know, you can see, oh, they have a degree. Oh, that's their work experience. Oh, they've shown a little bit. Oh, they've done that. And and then you watch a video of them riding and you're like, oh, uh, put that one on my list. Then you go on, you look at the next profile. You don't have to have that uh, uncomfortable. Well, for me, for me, a lot of times is evaluating whether or not we're going to be the right fit as a relationship, as a partnership. And so I've had to have some conversations with people potential clientele and say, you know, I just, I don't think we're the right fit. I don't think what I do and what you're expecting is going to be, I don't think you're going to be happy with my work. And I would prefer that you're happy with what you end up with your horse. And so I would suggest, you know, calling so-and-so. So the clients can actually go on there and pick, you know, shop for their, their next trainer. And then Hopefully that conversation will work out. I think that's a good spot to be in. I mean, it depends, of course, right? It's the same with the cattle market. But the horse market did get a little bit where the people who use horses on operations, either they had to buy a horse that wasn't trained, right? Or had a few rides on it to fit their budget. And then... We have risks of getting bucked off or getting hurt or two years to get them to where they can be, or they just couldn't, you know, buy the horse they needed. And so I think that a little softening in the market and some trainers having some open, because you're right, two years. I mean, mentally, that's so hard to think about, right? Is where I'm going to book you for two years and I'm going to feed this thing every day (laughs) before I get it to you. And so- you know, there's people whose life is selling horses and they probably will disagree, but I do think it can, you know, I don't think the softening of the market is going to be the worst thing ever. No, no. It's a correction, basically. That's the way I look at it. I worked at Edward Jones for a while, so it's just a correction to the market. It has to happen. What goes up has to come down. It's, you know, just like the cattle market. It goes up, it goes down, it goes up, it goes down. It depends on what's happening in the corn world. It happens in the packers, it, the feedlots. I mean, it, it all, price of hay, droughts, you know, all that. It all matters. And it is the same thing in the horse industry. I mean, it's, you know, I got hit hard last year, not not only losing those six contracts, but hay went from 150 a ton to 250 a ton. That's a lot, a lot, a huge difference. So there is a increase. And I'm hoping that people understand, you know, if you're people that are calling me and they're just kind of shopping for a trainer, the first question they ask me is, well, how much do you charge? And I'll say 1200 a month. And they're like, oh, okay, well, yeah, I can't afford that. Well, if you think about it, 1200 a month for a horse or a colt or whatever, if, let's say you do three months, 
versus, you know, whatever else cheap deal you get with the cheap trainer. When you go home and you ride that horse and you're in the hospital for a month and in a wheelchair and in rehab and lose work, I mean, that $1,200 a month is cheap. For what we're putting out there, the danger that we're allowing ourselves to be in training horses is, like I said, a colt tripped and fell and I broke my back. And I was out for, thank God I had employees, but I mean, I, I couldn't ride for, I think, a month and a half. And then when I got back in the saddle, so I mean, that was, that could have ruined my livelihood at that point if I didn't have employees, you know? So I think a lot, you know, a lot of trainers do it on their own. They're by themselves. And I mean, whew, you get hurt and it's worth it. The 1200 a month. And that should be about what a good trainer is charging anywhere from 1200 to 1500 a month. If they're charging a lot less than that, they probably have a lot less experience and they're building their clientele. And if, if you're, you know, pretty handy, great. That would be a great position to be in is give this young guy a chance or young gal a chance because everybody's got to start somewhere. There's always a place to start. And that's where I love these mentoring these young trainers because they're so fun to watch them learn and grow and and even cry a little bit, you know, after they talk to a client that wasn't happy or something. And, you know, I learned a long time ago, you cannot make everybody happy. That is impossible. Absolutely impossible. So it, as long as you can accept that, and, and you've learned that in the cattle market. I mean, huh, that's a tough world. <laughs> Absolutely. You're right. You, um... Yeah, you can make them happy some days, <laughs> yep. but most of the time you sort one off at the ranch and the rancher's like, why'd you take that one off? And then they get to the buyer and the buyer's like, why didn't you take that one off? And Right, yep. <laughs> no, absolutely. Um, we have a few rapid fire questions for you to wrap up the episode. These are okay. just um, fun little questions we ask all our guests. So the first one is, what is your favorite cut of steak and how do you like to cook it? Uh, prime rib and on the Traeger. Ooh, we slow and steady. Prime rib for Christmas. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> okay. So besides kind of some of the topics we talked a little bit about today, what is an ag industry topic that you think needs talked about in the mainstream media more often? Um, the focus on like registered herds and breeding and why those ranchers choose one bull over another why they do ai versus et why you know just interesting i'm really in just because we we have a small herd of our own personal cows and i you know i do most of the american angus association stuff on the computer and and whatnot but i mean the upds and all that is just more education on that. Like, why does it matter? My husband and I were looking at uh, twin bulls that we have in the South Montana bull sale. And they're twins. And their numbers are totally different. 
And it's just, that to me is super interesting. And to have more information, I mean, Jim Sitz would be the guy to talk to about all that too. I don't know if you've interviewed Jim. No, but we're, we've been in the talks with him. So he's. Oh, good. Yeah. Good. He's how I got started in the seed stock marketing world in college. Got so it. Okay. He's been in talks. We're going to have him on the podcast for sure. Good. Good. That's great to hear. But yeah, just, you know, bloodlines and foot scores and, you know, all that. My husband trimmed feet for cattle for lots and lots and lots of years until his back couldn't handle it anymore. He saw all those big Herefords, Charlotte, everything, all the registered groups or guys kind of around this area. And, you know, he got to see a lot of feet. So that was always interesting when he'd come home and talk about feet with me. And, and I'm like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, I always say that I really believe the commercial cattleman knows less and less about EPDs as the registered guys get deeper and deeper into EPDs. Yeah. It's like a yep. honor. One's going more in depth. The other ones are going less. And so somehow... As an industry, we got to figure out how to balance that relationship. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, really, when I think about it is, why do you buy your bull? Why did you buy the bull you bought? Simple question. And it's a question that every, all the breeds can answer. One guy will say, yeah, I looked at his papers and his papers were good and it would complement my herd. And another guy would say, well... You know, I looked at him. I watched him walk. I watched him behave. I need a docile bull around, and he's awesome herd bought bull. So everybody has their different ways of choosing a bull, and that's that to me. And again, I would refer that all to Jim Sitz. Is he's been looking at bulls since he was born, and why do your clients pick the specific bulls they pick? Why do they? Why does one guy look at papers before they even put their eyes on the physical be animal? It's interesting. It's interesting. Yeah. So many things. Okay, I'll ask him all yep. the questions for us. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, the next is, what is the best piece of advice you've ever been given? The best piece of advice I've ever been given? Yep. Don't get in a hurry. I love that one. Slow down. Yep. Slow down. Okay, and then the last one. This one you get to dream a little bit. But what is okay. your non-career dream job? For leads equine to just take off. Perfect. Yeah. So building community is one way. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Making Helping connections happen. Yeah, perfect. I love that. Well, this has been great. I think... There's probably going to be questions from the audience, so expect okay. that they might want to do a follow-up podcast okay. interview where we kind of pick your brain more often, but I really appreciate your time. We're going to put all of kind of the places that they can find you and everything in the show notes so people can follow along, and if anyone is interested in hiring you guys or um, getting on your platform, we'll be sure to send them instructions on how to do that. Perfect. Thank you so much. Of course. I appreciate your time today. Thank you. Yep. Thanks again for listening to the Cattleman You podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. We are thankful to have you in your community. Like always, remember the grass is greener where you water it.